So Psalm 66 has a lot of tradition, both in uh, the Jewish synagogue and in the Christian church for actually hundreds of years. Uh, they've both, both uh, faiths, both uh, Judaism and Christianity, have labeled it the Psalm of Resurrection. And I give you that one word so that while Jane reads it, you can kind of see that. So look for that theme of resurrection and what it means. This psalm also uses the word Selah four times. And so this was written uh, after a few verses, the word Selah appears. And we're not exactly sure what it means, but we believe it kind of means pause or think about it or just let that sit. And so Jane's going to emphasize that by stopping when she gets to those points. And so that's kind of that moment for you to take it in a little bit, and then she'll pick it up again. So look for resurrection and appreciate the pauses as Jane reads. Psalm 66, shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises of your name. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has prepared our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you, an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened. He has answered. He has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Thank you, Jane. And thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Did we figure out where that's coming from, just FYI? Okay. Yeah. It's, all, it's over there. It's over there somewhere. Okay. We won't worry about it as long as it's done. Okay. <laughs> so, Psalm 66. Yes, that is where we are. Uh, 
and you guys know, we're in a psalm series, and actually today we're halfway through. This is our fifth Sunday, so we have five more Sundays after this in the book of Psalms before we wrap it up. It's been curious to me, too. I've been visiting other churches where I have friends who are teachers, and I've been talking to fellow pastors, and everyone I talk to is in the Psalms this summer. So there's something the Holy Spirit wants to to say to the church of Portland in the Psalms. So hopefully we're going to hear it. I don't know what it is, but everyone is supposed to be in Psalms right now. So we are where we belong. That's good news. Psalm 66. So I want to take you through the psalm briefly as if you were Jewish. We want to go through this psalm in the way that a Jewish person or one who believes in Yahweh alone would go through it. Let's, let's study it just a little bit in the context it was written, and then we're going to go back through it again a second time and go through it from a Christian or a Jesus perspective because it, it fits in both places extremely well, obviously. So first of all, what would you say is the disposition of the person who wrote this? What, what do you think is the mood or the emotion thereafter? And Jane kind of reflected that really well, too. What do you get from it, Deborah? Okay, so you sensed a little bit of lowness and they needed hope? Okay. Yep, that's where it moves, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry? Gratitude, yeah. Yeah, and I think you could read it in multiple ways, and maybe we filter it through ourselves right now and what we're going through. This could also be read with a real strong sense of, I am so full of excitement right now, I want everybody to be where I am. And so with that phrase, kind of sing, uh, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Like, I'm excited, everyone else should be excited. All the earth, come on, shout to God, because that's what I feel right now. And that may be another way, a uh, place from which it's coming. So this first stanza, Kevin, let's take a look at that again, Uh, says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. There's a strong desire on the writer's part to worship God well. He's, He's asking the whole earth to join him, and he's saying, let's make his praise glorious. In other words, let's make the way we're doing this really impressive to God. Let's make his praise glorious. This Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you for that. I, want to, I did want to say this first. Uh, these are the first four lines of the, of the stanzas that we read. So there was four different pieces, and each one begins with a line. And if you look at just that first line, you get a sense for where this is going. So the author is saying, I want everything and everyone to praise God. And then there's an invitation to come and learn why. Uh, kind of the sense that the author is saying, hey, we should all praise God. But then he realizes, well, maybe you don't have a reason to or you need some help being motivated. So he invites you to come close and say, let me tell you why. And then he repeats it and he goes back and says, praise our God, all you people. I want the whole earth involved. And then he says again, but again, if you need help, come close and let me tell you why. That's where this psalm is going. So in this first stanza, as I said, there's this idea of, hey, let's come and praise God well. It says, um, and he even gives a script. He says, here's the script. You guys should say this. How awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. And what's the name that the author is referring to here as a Jew? Yahweh. Yeah, so what he has in mind is the name Yahweh. So he's looking for the praise of the God of gods, a powerful God. And then again, he gives us that script, what we should say, God, how awesome are your deeds. 
Now let's go to that second stanza. And again, here he wants to give help to anyone who's not on board yet. So he says, hey, shout to the Lord. And you're like, uh, no, or Yahweh? <laughs> like, like you're not there yet. And so he says, let me help you. Let me help you get there. And that's what the next stanza is about. And so he says, come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. So he makes reference to a story here. And what is the story? He turned the sea into dry land. Yeah, this is the Exodus story. So there have been, there's been a protracted time of God delivering the, uh, the Jewish people from 400 years, multiple generations of slavery, a super depressed life, always oppressed by another people, being slaves for all the generations with no hope. Generations dying uh, with their prayers unanswered to be delivered. So pretty, pretty sad story. And then the deliverance is very protracted. There's a prayer, there's, you know, Pharaoh, let my people go, and then things get worse, and as you know, there's ten plagues, and it's a long story, and finally, they actually pick up everything they have, and they run, and they run through the night and through the next day, and it kind of feels like, oh, we got away, we got away, and then there's this one more tremendously frightening experience where Pharaoh has mounted his entire army, and now he's chasing them. So here they are in the desert, two million people, children, Everything they own, all their animals, and this army comes fully fitted to destroy them. So now they are at rock bottom. They thought they had gotten there before. They hadn't, and now they're even lower. And that's where this becomes the amazing epic story, right? All night long, this place is opened up. They walk through on dry land. They stand on the other side. They go, oh, no, there's Pharaoh's army. God closes it up and drowns the army. I mean, imagine the emotion at that point. Like, what just happened? Oh, my gosh. And that's kind of the emotion where this guy is, hey, whole world, praise God, did you see what just happened? That was amazing. I think of the scene of the kid on the tricycle in The Incredibles, right? That was wicked, (laughs) right? That's what's going on here. And so he's saying, hey, isn't that amazing? I want you to join me in that kind of praise. So then he moves back again into the third stanza, and he says again, praise our God, all the people. Now he's going to tell a different story, and I want your help in understanding what story he's telling. Praise our God, all the people. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, Yahweh, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through the fire and water but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you, vows my lips promised, and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. So two parts in the stanza. The first part is, God, you took us through some hard stuff. What is he or she talking about? What's the hard story of Israel? And this is post, I think it's post-Egypt. Yeah, the exile, it feels like there's a reference there for sure, right? Yeah. It could be the 40 years in the desert where they experienced this time of testing because of their doubt and their unwillingness to move on. So yeah, it probably fits in several places. But it's amazing to see that the writer appreciates the process. 
this person who writes this has submitted to it and realizes that there was a purpose to it, that God used the suffering to create character, to create faith, and to change these people from people who doubted and who were afraid and weren't trusting to people who were just the opposite, that they were trusting, they were full of faith. And so this person comes to this place and says, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And that probably uh, is the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, milk and honey, that through that 40 years, uh, they were brought through trials, and then they entered into this place of abundance. So this person then concludes, God, because of what you've done, you use suffering to make me a better person, to make us a better people, and now you've brought us to a place of abundance. It's appropriate that I worship you. And so for us, the uh, burnt offerings, vows, goats, animals, we, you know, that, that doesn't resonate with us, but that resonates with the Jewish people because it was God's request. God said, I want you to worship me this way. And now they're obeying him and they're saying, yes, God, I will worship you the way you ask me to. I will fulfill my vows. And then the author goes one more step just to give us even more fuel for praising God with this kind of energy and hope. And, and he says this, <clears throat> Come and hear, all you who fear God. And now he's changed his audience. In the first call, it was all you people, everyone in the earth. And now he's narrowed the call to the people of God. Come and hear, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done. For I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. This is a big change. This is a really personal expression. This person is talking simply about themselves and God. So it's gone from this epic gathered worship to this very personal and private experience. And they're basically saying three things. I recognized my need for God. I cried out to him. I denounced sin. And God responded by receiving me and loving me. So that's the Jewish context. Now let's go through it one more time in in our context as Jesus followers and see what it says again. So in stanza number one, the name is mentioned twice again. Sing the glory of his name. And then the last line, they sing the praises of your name. What name are we referring to? The name of Jesus, right? And these fit really well together because what's, what's the English interpretation of Yahweh? That's how we translate it. That's true. The meaning, the meaning that it's given is I, I am, right? I am. So the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, I am. And then uh, those of us who follow Jesus say Jesus. And the beauty of it is if you put it together, it says, I am Jesus, which is really God's revelation of himself. He revealed himself little by little. He revealed himself first as the one God as Yahweh, and he said, I am. I exist always, and I'm always here. And then he reveals himself again, specifically as Jesus, someone we can see someone we can touch, someone like us who we can connect with. So if you think of Yahweh, what was the natural response of a human when Yahweh showed up in kind of a visible way? Mount Sinai and reverence, fear. God, no, please don't. Remember, he invited them to come worship him, and they said, Moses, would you go for us? Because we're afraid of God. But when Jesus showed up, 
How, how did that go when Jesus showed up next to someone in, in the presence of people? How did people respond? Drawn toward him. He's, he's safe. This seems to be a safe person. And this is all God. And the beauty of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because on the one hand, our Father is someone who is to be reverenced for sure. And yet the Son, Jesus, is someone to be trusted and embraced. Let's move on to that second stanza. Oh, I wanted to say this. It does say, sorry, Kevin, we'll back up one. Uh, verse 4 says, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises to your name. And then I just want to remind you of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. G, uh, Paul writes, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So Jesus moves from this place of humility and suffering and approachability to this place of kingship and sitting on a throne. But he's a king that we know. He's a king that we're familiar with. He's a king that we trust. So again, we move back to a reverence of Jesus, but a reverence of someone we deeply love. So with God, it was kind of nothing but terror and reverence. And that was a good thing. Our corrupted souls needed that. But Jesus comes to us, becomes familiar with us, says, hey, I'm safe, and then he goes back to this exalted place. And so this is who our king is. The, the, third stanza, I'm sorry, the second stanza says, now come and see what God has done. For us, it's a different story. What story do we tell rather than the story of the Jewish exodus from Egypt? What's like the center story for us? If we were going to say, the most important thing I could tell you that Jesus has done, I would tell you this story. Yeah, the cross and Easter, that whole story, right? That central core gospel story. Jesus came, showed the love of the Father, showed what a human in submission to God looks like, gives us hope for a life well lived, and then pays the price so that we could step into that life through the cross, taking away our sin, but then rising again from the dead. So that's the story we tell. So, so today as a Christian, if we were practicing this psalm, we would say, shout for joy all the earth. Come and worship him, and here's why. Jesus has done all of these things. And this is why we'll move to the table in just a few minutes. Again, we want to remember every single week the story that we are rooted in, the story that gives us hope, the story that keeps us centered, the story that keeps us moving in the right direction. Then the third stanza, praise our God, all the people. Let the sound of his praise be heard. <clears throat> and then again, he goes on to talk about this refining process that brings him out to be the person that he wants to be so he will worship God well. So help me translate that stanza from a, a Judean or a, uh, a Jewish refrain to a Christian refrain. How would you explain that to a, to a child here at Colossae in our story? So we become aware of our brokenness, our incompleteness, and our sin so that we understand, I need help. I'm, I'm not going to survive <laughs> as a human in the condition that I'm in, right? 
Yeah. What about that refining process that's here? Is that true for Christians? Is there a refining process that we go through? And what does it look like? Yeah, he's going to, yep, right, yep, absolutely. And a piece of that to me that's really beautiful is he redeems the brokenness of the world. So again, we want to be really clear, God does not initiate the brokenness of the world. God doesn't tempt anyone, so God doesn't initiate those things. But in his his sovereignty and his power, he redeems them, and he uses that suffering and that sin and the consequences of, of my sin and the consequences of people who sin against me, he redeems it and uses it to create character in me. So again, I think it's important that we understand, because for a while this was misunderstood, that, that one would say, God is doing this to me when we are suffering, especially at the hands of other people. That somehow God sent that oppressor or that abuser to me, and either I deserve this or it's will. And the scriptures do not teach that. That is the will of broken people and demonic forces. That's why evil exists, not because God initiates it. But God redeems it. So he knows you went through it. And his heart is, I'm so sorry. I would not have wanted that for you. But I have given free will to every soul. And you're, you're experiencing that free will. But I'll redeem it. And I'll help build in you the woman I want you to be, the man I want you to be. And so he refines us. So that we are able to say, And I love this refrain in verse 12, but you brought us to a place of abundance. And and I don't know where that is for each of us. I think we get there many times. But I would say as someone who's just approaching 60 next year, that in our life there's a little bit of this um, two phases of human life for a Christian. I think there's this phase of angst and struggle and anxiety and disbelief and fear, but I would say to you, I think that if you trust the process, the second half of life can be one that's much more peaceful and one that's much more trusting. Richard Rohr has written a book called um, Falling Upward, and he teaches this whole idea, and he's a a man, he's a a father in his 60s or 70s as well, a Franciscan father, not a children father, (laughs) and he teaches this idea of the second half of life where we finally believe it, like almost once and for all. And we finally stop struggling, kind of once and for all. And, and I think you could get there at any point in your life, but I would say for most of us, for me, it's taken a long, long time. I would hope you hit that point in your 40s. I hit it like last year. <laughs> but just for those of you who feel like there is no end to suffering and struggling, there is. Uh, it, you can experience it now, daily, but you will experience it more and more if you walk faithfully with Jesus and you submit to the process. That time will come. It also helps having an empty nest. That's another piece of that reality. <laughs> so is that, yeah? Right, fewer trials. Yeah. <laughs> but God brings us into a place of abundance. And so then we would say we wouldn't bring fatted animals and rams and goats. But what would you... What would you define as the best sacrifice that God asks of us today? What's the sacrifice of a Jesus follower that would please God? What's that? Obedience, yeah. Tony's just sitting on the front row whispering wisdom. (laughs) No, you're right, 
Yeah, and what does obedience look like to Jesus specifically? It's not animal sacrifices. Thank you. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, right? For sure, for sure. That, that father's heart that, hey, I didn't just save you for you, but I save you to light you on fire for other people, right? Yeah, totally, yeah. So that would be the, the greatest sacrifice. You know, Jesus says, uh, I send you out, go and make disciples of all nations. So one of the beautiful things that I want to end with today is to share with you the reality that this psalmist was hoping that God uh, would be worshipped throughout all the earth. And that's actually, it happens every Sunday in a beautiful way. In fact, yesterday at 2.45, where were you? How many of you were at the, the festival, the Robin Hood Festival? Okay, some of you were there, yeah. Where else were you yesterday at 2.45? Roughly. Riding on a slip and slide, okay. Anybody else riding on a slip and slide? Yeah, we were kind of all over the place. Taking a nap, maybe? Okay, Doug was sleeping. Others napping? Awesome. Rafting the dish. Now, don't make it jealous. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay, is that pleasant or... Okay, all right. So we were kind of all over the map. But guess what was happening in Chatham Island, New Zealand? The worship of God was starting. Yeah, because in Chatham at 2.45 yesterday, our time, it was 10.30, I believe. I could be, I might not be perfect on this. Uh, it was 10.30 a.m. And at St. Augustine's Church on, on Chatham Island, worship started. And it's going to stop tonight at about 8 o'clock our time when the Hawaiians finish having their evening services. <clears throat> but just think about that. We're, here we are, 60 people in a little room in Tigard. We seem like small. But today, millions of people are doing what we're doing. In gatherings big and small. They started 20 hours ago, and we're going to finish in about 10 hours moving forward. So today, all the earth is singing the praises of God. So when you, when you feel like we're kind of small and isolated, remember that it started 20 hours ago. And it's going to go for 10 hours more. And we're just a part of the middle. But God is praised throughout all the earth. The name of Jesus is exalted throughout all the earth. So we're going to move into uh, some worship now. And I want to remind you that this, what we're about to do, is the climax of our gathering. The teaching is not. And I know sometimes in our culture it feels that way. Uh, I've had the experience as a pastor with other pastors watch people now as we get up some people leave and go home because the, the sermon is over. And, and, and sadly, I think what's happening for that person's life is the idea that the, I came for the teaching and that's the climax of the morning. But I don't believe that's the, what the church would say. The church would say, no, the climax of the morning is how we respond to what's happened. So Peter and, and uh, the team opened us up and kind of got us drawing close to God and focusing on Him. And I've hopefully fueled your heart and reminded you of the story. And I, I hope I could say to you now, hey, let's praise God well. Let's make his praise glorious. And you would say, I can do that because you reminded me of the story. But here and now, you are the audience. God is the one watching and receiving. And Peter and the team, Jessica, Carl, they are just... Consuela, what did I say? Jessica, sorry. Uh, they are just the, um, the directors, the inspirers. But God is watching you now. He's not watching them. So 
Show him how you feel. Uh, show him what you think and believe. Respond to what he's done for us in worship. And I'll try to get Consuela's name right next time. Let's pray. Father, it, it's good to remember to know that um, there are millions of people today that know the name of Jesus and that are feeling and thinking the same things that we are. And Jesus, they're praising you. Father, they're acknowledging that the story that you have written for us is a great story. And we are grateful for it. And Father, we accept the things that we suffer, knowing that you wouldn't wish it, but it's happened. So you redeem it. God, we ask you to keep using those hard times that we're in the middle of right now to make us more like Jesus. But Father, in this space right now of safety and abundance and your presence and each other's presence, uh, would you just let our spirits loose to worship you in spirit and in truth? Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit now to give back to you all the kind of worship that you would.